It is the 90s, and there is time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Well, enough of that. Uh, how are you doing, Sean? Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, uh, thank you for asking, uh, Jim. Uh, I, I guess I'm doing okay, all things considered, and uh, yourself? I've been doing good, uh, so to speak. Uh, for those that are uninitiated, this is the Pie Factory Podcast. Uh, I yes. am your witty uh, host, Jim. And I am uh, just one of the co-hosts. I don't know if I'm witty. I don't know if I'm what. Uh, but I'm Sean. I know that much. Now, I'm aren't you an honorary member of the Singing Johnson family? No, no, I'm not, unfortunately. I I can't sing all that well, so uh, they probably wouldn't want me in there. They can sing beautifully. I can't. I see. Uh, for those not in the know, Sean's uh, introduced his new podcast, the, uh, what was it, My Weird Records? My, My Weird, Weird Record, Record Collection. Collection. And uh, if you're not listening to that, shame on you. Well, there's only like an intro episode and a main episode, so if you're not listening to it, it's probably because you've already heard them. True. If they haven't been listening to your podcast, your new podcast, they have plenty of time to catch up. Yeah, new episode every 15th of the month at 5 a.m. Central Time. There you go. And uh, this most recent episode, he covers the Singing Johnson family. Yes, and uh, I have to admit uh, that was a that was a pretty that was pretty good. Uh, you went pretty deeper into one of those records than I ever thought anybody could ever go. You and me the same, bub. I'm shocked I was able to get what little information I could. I have a feeling you're going to be in for some challenges coming down the pike when it comes to research. oh, I guarantee you, I'm in for some challenges. That's what makes it fun. True. That's a very true. So, uh, what have you been playing lately? You know, it's funny you should ask, because aside from the two games that we're talking about for this episode, episode 144, by the way, in case we haven't said that, uh-huh. because of Ferg, actually, because it uh, sounds like uh, the, the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast is back to a more, uh, at least for now, some, somewhat of a regular schedule, which I'm really excited about. I was mm-hmm. thrilled to see... Uh, the new episodes coming into the feed. I played Frogger 2, the, the Atari 2600 version. Frogger mm-hmm. 2, three deep. And I'm going to say this. I totally forgot to send some feedback to Ferg because I did have some stuff to say about that. Um, I have reason to believe that Ferg listens to our podcast, and I will get back to that as to why I have reason to believe he listens later on in this episode. And um, if Ferg's listening right now, he can consider this my feedback. I wasn't really necessarily looking forward to it, uh, to playing it. I never really gave it a lot of attention before. I f- think I first heard of it in uh, the spring of 1992 when our mutual friend Andrew... Did my voice just crack there, or do I get... Hmm, when it's time to puberty. change! Yeah, I knew that was coming. But uh, our mutual friend Andrew, who was a guest on our podcast a couple of years ago, actually, sold me his Commodore 64 stuff, because he was upgrading to Amiga, I was going through all the floppy disks that he sold me for like 10 bucks, I think, for the whole lot. And I came across Frogger 2, 3D. But I'm like, hmm, what's this? And uh, and I was like, yeah, whatever. But for, at the time we're recording this, his most recent episode was about Frogger 2, 3D, Furby's episode. And I was seriously impressed with all the new challenges that it came up with. Uh-huh. The multiple levels of stages you have to go into. Uh, the little boingy thing. I like the, how you have to keep bouncing higher and higher and higher when you're, uh, I think, in the clouds and trying to jump into the landing spot in one of the clouds. I really liked that. Um, I liked how 
just like in the arcade Frogger, you can't cross the screen without dying. I don't think, I don't know if the difficulty switch allows you to change that like it does in the original Parker Brothers Frogger, but I like that you could get around that by riding on, uh, was it, was it the walrus, I think, or one of the characters that you can hop on and you're invincible. You just float across the screen and wrap around the other side. I like that dynamic. The only notes I have for whoever developed this is it's annoying to have to sit through the music. Uh I didn't like that about the original Parker Brothers Frogger, too, that when the theme music starts, you can't just start. You have to wait for the theme music to Mm -hmm. finish it. I don't want to have to wait for that. Just give me an option to bypass or figure out how to get the music to play whilst I'm playing. Whilst. But I was seriously impressed. Man, that was a really good... One thing I noticed is that I, I pointed out when we talked about Frogger way, way back... Um, let me see actually which episode we talked about using the, oh, it was episode 10 when we talked about Frogger and Asteroids that I pointed out how in the arcade version of Frogger, as well as the Parker Brothers Atari 2600 version of Frogger, if you are close enough to a car, it will not let you move and you're going to die, which always pissed me off to this day, to this day. That same mechanism is in Frogger 2 3 deep. In which when you're crossing the river, that's one thing they got right. They actually let Frogger swim. Yeah. And if Frogger's about to be hit by one of the enemies that he, that he can't touch, if it gets close enough that even though in real life there's still enough time to jump away, it'll basically freeze Frogger in place and he's going to die. Hmm. I really hate that mechanic. Well, spoiler alert, I'm not a fan of Frogger 2. I tried playing it way back when it first was released on the 20, was either the 2600 or the ColecoVision. I tried playing it again recently, and I'm just, I'm just not a fan. I think there's way too much going on. I, I think it suffers from the same problem. I think that Cubert's uh, Cubes has in that it uh, really it overcomplicates a simple uh, tried and true formula. Well, the thing is with Cubert's uh, Cubes, which I got to talk about by the way, it's a different formula. It's basically a matching game, while Cubert is a just get everything the same color game. I mean, I can, I can see why somebody wouldn't like, like Frogger 2 because of that exact reason. Because, yeah, it does get really complicated when you think about it. But it's impressive that they were able to do that on what was intended to be a glorified Pong console. Really? Well, it's impressive that they were able to do anything with an, a glorified Pong console. Seriously. And, and if you get homebrews from, say, Champ Games, for example, and... Uh, Thomas Yench and all those folks, it's insane what they can do with it. Well, to be fair, a lot of the newer homers do rely on stuff like the Melody Board and stuff like that. But Yeah. I mean, even just the original Pac-Man, for as uh, looked down upon as that version of Pac-Man is, it's still a pretty damn impressive piece of programming for what they worked with. I always liked it, too. I knew it was nothing like the arcade version, but I still played the hell out of it. Again... Going back to one of my theories, I think the game would be more fondly remembered if the colors were correct and they changed. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. But going back to Cubert's Cubes, uh, also, since we last recorded, I've been to not one, but three different arcades. Three? I've been to three. I've been to uh, Underground Retrocade because I know that Retrocade has the two games that we're talking about for this episode. Uh So I wanted to make sure I could get some playing in those in. And I went to Galloping Ghost Arcade and Galloping Ghost Pinball. And uh, why I went to pinball is going to be kind of sort of obvious, possibly by the time we're done recording. 
But um, I went to the main, that was the first time I ever been to Galloping Ghost Pinball, by the way. I paid for a, uh, what do they call it? The combination admission. So uh, I paid for admission to both the main arcade and the pinball arcade for a discounted price. And I'd totally forgotten that at uh, GGA, they have not one, but two Cubert's Cubes machines. They have really? the standard one and they have another one that was designed for a horizontally oriented monitor. Okay. Yeah, because I remember Doc unveiling that probably about uh-huh. a year ago, and I don't think I had been to, yeah, it had been a while since I've been to the Ghost. It was long overdue. So I went there, and I I remembered it, and I played it, and I got to tell you, man, if you go to Galloping Ghost and you play their main Cubert's Cubes cabinet with a vertically oriented monitor, mm-hmm. you're going to see my name on the high score card <laughs> as having the number two score in there. Mm-hmm. There's no way in hell I'll ever do that on the horizontal one. There's just something about the horizontal version that I just can't friggin' play the thing where the crap. I can't. It's hard to follow. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's probably a prototype because there's a little bit of a difference between that and the normal one. And the thing is, I don't think Doc was able to get a lot of information about it. I think he, even after talking with the uh, former Gottlieb slash Rat Slime employees, uh-huh. they didn't really know much about it. But yeah, if that were the Cubert's Cubes that I had known and loved, I would not have given it a high rating <laughs> when we talked about it uh-huh. in episode 89. Uh-huh. But still love the vertically oriented version. Really great one. Something that I like about going to Galloping Ghost is yeah. that you're going to discover all kinds of titles that you never, either you never heard of or never thought of. Uh-huh. That you're going to basically make mental notes, I got to play this sometime, or at least look it up in MAME. And of course, my mental notes are for crap, and I don't remember any of the ones I thought about. So, (laughs) oh well. I I don't know. Oh, yeah, and I I played Lock and Chase Uh on an arcade cabinet for the first time since uh, 1981, 1982. Yeah. And here's a major development. I still suck at it. (laughs) I still suck at it. I'll tell you this. One thing I can say is that I'm able to grab the bonus items now. Oh, there you go. I could never reach the bonus items or clear the board when I was playing it at the Kroger on Convent Street in Bourbon A back in the 80s. Now I can clear the first board and pick up the bonus items. But that's about as much as I can say about that. (laughs) I suck at that game. Yeah, that's another game I'm, yeah, I don't know. Not a huge fan of. I don't hate it, but it's, yeah. No. Uh, we've talked about it already, though, I do believe. Oh, yes. We talked about that in episode number, um, let's see, uh, 64. Yeah, long time ago. Yeah, we talked about that along with Thief, which they also have at the Ghost. Why not take up a collection and send him to Cleveland? Yep, courtesy of the Games Disgust. No, Games Disgust, not Games Disgust. Games I am disgust disgusted with that game. Section. Of PieFactoryPodcast.com. I, I love that filter. Oh, man, that's so handy. I have, I have to check the, some of the new feed, the features out on the redesigned website. It's still uh, not great with uh, cell phones, but... Uh, yeah, oh, it's not mobile-friendly. That See, that's the thing. Our webmaster is a developer, not a designer. Yeah, and, and we all know who that is. You. So... Yeah, this guy right here. So, what, uh, what else have you been playing, doing... Uh, that was pretty much it, other than my usual fallback of playing Mr. Do in MAME. 
Oh, last night I got my, I, in while playing Mr. Do in Mame, I got 478,000 something, which is so far my highest. Dang. And I suck at that game. I suck at pretty much every game. I guess I'm just impatient. I don't know. Well, patience is part of it. Another part of it is you got to be tutored by somebody who knows how to play the damn thing. Uh-huh. For example, Centipede, my highest score is 232-something thousand. Yeah. I'd never be able to have gotten that score if it weren't for being tutored by somebody who can score much higher than me, a.k.a. Uh, our local arcade gamer, Duke Dang, who's been tutoring me for several years in that game. <laughs> and uh, someone else I have to send a shout-out to is uh, Bruce Widmer, who tutored me multiple times on uh, the ins and outs of Mr. Do. And, of course, he does a hell of a lot better than I do. He gets regularly seven-digit scores. Mm-hmm. But I would never have been able to get in the 400,000s without his tutelage, if you will, his guidance. You know, you bring up Centipede. I've been watching a, on YouTube lately a lot of uh, tool-assisted speedruns of different games, and one of them I saw was Centipede. And uh, the, uh, this tool-assisted speedrun was not using, like, the, the tunnel yeah. method. Now, granted, it's all, like, AI sort of stuff playing the games. But uh, I still thought it, some of the strategy they were using was interesting. Um, two speed runs that were tool-assisted. One was dealing with uh, reaching the scores using the fleas, and the other one was trying to avoid the fleas coming down as much as possible. And yeah. uh, they were pretty interesting to watch. I watched a speed run last night of the Terminator 2 arcade game, and um, this tool-assisted speed run was pretty bad because they couldn't uh, destroy all of the equipment in Cyberdyne Systems. Watched one of uh, Air, uh, Revolution X with uh, Aerosmith. That one was funny because they couldn't show the whole game on there, and they had to change the audio on it. Otherwise, they would have oh, gotten a strike from yep. uh, various recording companies. And in fact, for the end scene where Aerosmith plays a concert, when you you know find all of the the band members, they actually had to uh, host that on another server on a different site so that they wouldn't get a copyright strike. Huh. So. That's, you know, that's, oh God, I, uh, how to put it, um, Hyde might want to bleep this out, but, uh, you know, <laughs> copyright holders. <laughs> God, I hate them. I, I've told some of my stories of my battles with them. Just gotta, yep. just gotta move with it. You know, it's, I'm just glad Google doesn't control our justice system. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> oh boy. But uh, as far as what I've been playing, I don't remember if I mentioned on the last episode, or if even I had it in time, but I picked up an IntelliVoice module for my Intellivision. You did and, not uh, mention it that. It works pretty well. Uh, I need to learn how to play the games because they don't have overlays or whatever. But uh, it, it definitely works. And uh, I need to see if there's some homebrews that use that thing. That's really hmm. a weird device if you think about it. Because back then, it's like we didn't have the knowledge and how to put... Uh, voice into the games without additional hardware but then yeah. not too many years later quad run came out for the 2600 and uh there was squishum for the ColecoVision, which all had voice without any additional add-ons and it was still a weird time in the industry sure and then when we when we covered berserk there was that issue where they had that uh how expensive it was to put the voice chip in each of the each of the machines i remember that oh yeah it was like five digits to to uh just for the uh programming itself yeah so yeah, I've been I've been playing around with that. Uh, every now and then, I'll fire up the <coughs> Super Mario uh, Homebrew for uh, the Intellivision, which is it's amazing how good that is. I I can see why uh, Nintendo put the kibosh on that. But I've also been playing 
uh, a game that I, I hadn't, I totally forgot about for years and I had been addicted to it about five, six years ago called Kobo Deluxe. It owes a lot to Bosconian. You got this spaceship and you got to destroy these fortresses. But unlike Bosconian, where it's just like a space station with like six pods and then you, or a direct hit to the middle, these have like bazillion pods that you have to destroy. But it forms like a maze around the central point you have to hit to destroy. And, or sometimes you can't, they don't even have the pods. You have to like pilot your ship through this maze to get to the center to destroy it. And, uh, it's kind Sounds of, it, 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 the game is kind of like if somebody crossed Bosconian and Sinistar. Huh. Uh, with the, how difficult the game is and the number of enemies it spews at you. And, um, I'm trying to remember the website, but just, just look up Kobo, K O B O Deluxe. Uh, on Google, that should just take you to the website. But this is a fun game. I had to, or go to our show notes on Pie Factory Podcast. We will link it. I had to putz with the uh, video settings a little bit because since this wasn't written for this for Windows 11 and I'm on 11, uh, I had to putz with some of the video settings. But I got it working, and uh, yeah, real fun game. Not as much of a fan of Kobo 2, Electric Boogaloo, which was by the same guy, and. Um, but it's still worth checking out. So that I've been playing a lot of that lately. And, uh, I gotta say, I'm surprised that uh, you didn't have the speech synthesis module already. Because I never knew anybody who had an Intellivision who didn't also have that. And the times that I did have an Intellivision, like say in the uh, we back in the 2000s when I'd order them used, they always came with the Intel. It's like everybody who had one had the Intellivoice. Yeah, mine. I don't remember when I bought my Intellivision if it came with any games and. The Intellivoice thing wasn't on my radar, but I just happened sure. to be in a disc replay, and I saw they had two of them behind the counter for like 15 oh. bucks. I'm like, sure, might as well pull the trigger. Of course, I also had the, uh, what are the I, I don't remember the, the flash cart for the Intellivision uh, with a bunch of stuff on it, too, which already had the Intellivoice games. Yeah. There were four released games and one prototype. The prototype was a Dungeons & Dragons game that was never released. Oh. And I can't figure that one out. Let's leave it at that. I always and, loved um, B seventeen bomber and B seventeen bomber. And bomb squad could be a little bit uh, tiring after a while because you once described it as drudge work, and I can kind of see that. Which one? Bomb squad. Yeah, I. Yeah, I can't get into that one. What was the fourth one? Space Spartans. Space Spartans. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, Space Spartans, which is basically Star Raiders. Yeah, and there is some very rudimentary voice synthesis built into the baseball game that doesn't require yep i've talked about that before the i'm not a fan of the first baseball game but the one that came out uh when it was in tv corporation i like a lot because that one first of all you can play single player uh and you can steal bases uh, which is something that oh and slide those were things that were not in the original baseball. Hmm. And it seems, and it's just a lot more fun to play. I mean, I get where they were going with the, uh, in the early days of these video games. They're like, they wanted two people to play to compete against each other, but it's like, not everybody has friends, and I'm proof of yeah. that. So. And even if you do have friends, you gotta, hey, wanna play a game with me? Sure. Baseball. Okay. On the Intellivision. Nah. Yeah, the controllers still suck. But I got that uh, replacement controller. I think I've shown you pick. Have I? I haven't. Sh- I know you? I haven't shown you any of my setup. You haven't been down here. When are you gonna come down to visit? I was just there in September. Yeah, but we didn't play any in television. Well, whose fault is that? Yours, because you never ask. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Actually, I was gonna set up that video projector 
so we could play video games outside. But it, it was such a nice night. I'm like, ah, screw it. Let's just enjoy the night. As long as we're on the topic of classic video games. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Sinistar. Yeah. Underground Retrocade had Sinistar for a while, and then they didn't. And they have it again. I'm guessing it might have just been out of service, and they got it up and running again. Holy yes. cow. Is that a, that is a, such a tough game. It's so I came close though. to destroying two Sinistars, though. Oh, I've only done two, gotten to destroy two Sinistars once in my life without cheating. Mm. Yeah. But have you seen this? I think I've shown you this device. The CV-NUC Plus, a ColecoVision clone. Uh, yes. You can get it at thebrewingacademy.com and just look in their uh, ColecoVision section. But uh, they, uh, yeah, it's, um, wait, from fourteen ninety nine. What? Hold on a second. That can't be right. Oh, I see. Yeah, they got different options. Like, you can get everything from just the case to, like, the bare boards, do-it-yourself with chips, complete without the keypad, complete with a keypad. It's a little more expensive than I thought it was. I thought it was cheaper than this. Like, the complete with no keypad is 234 and the complete with Wait. keypad is 249 I could have sworn it was $100 less than that. Well, that's more than the uh, collector. Unless it was on Phoenix. sale. But, uh... If I get a job, I'm seriously considering this because it doesn't use uh, HDMI. It uses, um, I believe, composite video. And that was the one big thing I don't like about the uh, Collector Vision Phoenix is uh, it doesn't work with because it's HDMI only. It doesn't work with some TVs very well. And the TV I have in my bedroom here just is one of those TVs. I mean, it plays, but the audio is uh, awful uh, in the sense Uh that it doesn't play the audio. It just does like... Click, 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 click. Um, and I've tried doing different things with it, like running it through different video devices and what have you, and it just persists. Otherwise, it's a great device, but uh, this uh, CV-NUC Plus does have Super Game Module compatibility as well. Yeah, and, uh, that's definitely it, a plus there. It works there. with all the, original, uh, all the original controllers and stuff like that. So this is definitely something I'm going to look into. Yeah, given that I didn't hold on to my Phoenix... And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to get this. And if I want to do Coleco emulation, that's what I have a mister for. Yeah, I get that. But um, as an aside, speaking of thebrewingacademy.com, just check out their website. they got a lot of, like, gaming and uh, classic computer hardware out there. Ooh. Mostly Atari, but there's some Commodore and other um, computers and, and stuff there as well. Oh, well, oh, they got SG-1000 stuff. Let's see what they got there. We will link that in the show notes. And, of course, everything I want is sold out. <laughs> Like hardware stuff. What do they got for the Intellivision? I've ordered stuff from them before. They got a, a power cable for the, uh, the Atari 8-bit computers that has a, a USB end. Like, a, what is that? USB-A, I believe it is. And uh, just hook it up into a proper amperage, voltage, whatever uh, cell phone charger, and it'll power up your computer. It's uh, quite nice, uh, actually. It looks like they only have games for uh, the Intellivision. I thought they might have had some other hardware. But, you know, just give them a look. I mean, that's a pretty neat, uh, a yeah, neat website, especially right for doing, like, your 8-bit computer stuff. Yeah. I think I got my FujiNet from them as well. I am a satisfied customer. Hmm. So that's basically what I've been up to. Oh, it did take a quick trip to New Orleans. Oh, and, did you uh, know? That was fun. Yeah, my wife and I went to last night to a cooking, cl- well, it was billed as a cooking class by Jimmy Bonos, who is the chef of the now-defunct Heaven on Seven restaurant, 
which was basically New Orleans cuisine. Oh man, his gumbo is freaking amazing. Oh, when we went down there, my son actually tried some uh, alligator sausage, and he really liked it. Really? Yeah, I've I've tried alligator before, and it didn't really do much for me. It's like, eh, it's nothing exciting. Isn't it? Yeah, when I tried it, it wasn't great, and it wasn't terrible either. It was just kind of like, yeah, yeah in the the meth area, like you're saying. Uh, I did have some uh, blackened chicken po' boy. Uh, what did I get Ooh. there? I can't remember the restaurant. I don't remember. Toured the Tabasco plant. They got a nice uh, self-guided tour, which uh, <laughs> in one room, the bottling room, we were in the, the viewing gallery and I was taking a picture. There was one employee way in the back. He was like holding stuff up, just trying to get my attention so that I'd take a picture of him. That was hilarious. One of the rooms, they put a little Tabasco in the paint to give it like a, a red color. Uh, that was kind of neat. It's a two-hour drive from New Orleans. Ooh. One thing people don't realize if they go out there, not only is you obviously have to buy tickets to do the, the tour, but uh, the Tabasco plant has this ama- these amazing gardens that they have built out there. And uh, just to, to roam freely through them is part of the uh, the cost to, to take the tour. And, uh, yeah, I think we spent a total of three hours out there. It was really huh. a, a really nice escape from the city. So that's a little hint from me. To you, as I extend my hands. So, uh-huh. yeah. Was that your first time in New Orleans? No, it was my second. The first time oh. I went was in the 70s as a kid. The only thing I remember is we ate at a place called Felix's, and we had a carriage ride through the French Quarter, but that's it. And we crossed the uh, Lake Pontchartrain Causeway, which we did this time as well. Uh. That's all I remember about the, my, my first trip. I was little. I must have been. I was trying to figure out when we went. I think we went... In either, I, th- I think it was 78, because 75 and 77, I'm pretty sure we went to Disney. In 76, I know we hit all of the, no, wait, wait, no, no, because we went to New Orleans on one of the Disney trips. I think it was 77. It was 75 or 77, because the 76 bicentennial year, we hit all of the, uh, you know, the bicentennial sites in the Northeast. Yeah, I think 70, it was either 75 or 77. I have to look through my stuff to see if I can have any remnants from that trip. I'm not sure I do, but uh, that's worth a gander. But really, am I right in my assertion that that is the most dangerous place to go if you're looking to shed pounds? Oh, heck yeah. Ugh. The Frugal Gourmet called it the best restaurant uh, city in the country. Oh, dude, last night at the Jimmy Bono's dinner, somebody asked Jimmy, uh, hey, I'm going to New Orleans soon. What restaurants do you recommend? And I just yelled out, all of them. <laughs> I'm trying to remember every place we ate. We had breakfast at a place called couple of times, I think it was called Joe's Bakery. It's like a small chain. They have like donuts and stuff. They have a Texas donut, which is as big as my monitor here. Mm. Uh, the two kids that went with us uh, shared that. And I had a uh, breakfast burrito. And, of course, they sell king cakes as well. Uh, for those not in the know, it's, uh, the king cake is a New Orleans Mardi Gras tradition. Oh, and I found a place in Joliet that sells king cakes, by the way. Oh, really? And what it is, eat the cake. And there's a little toy baby inside. Oh, one of those things. Okay. Whoever gets the baby has to either throw the next party or buy the next king cake. Uh-huh. And that's the tradition. The king cake at Joe's, they made it like a donut. You know, they, they deep fried it and then they frosted it and whatever. A traditional is, is baked. But, uh, oh, and if you ever get down to uh, New Orleans, Mardi Gras World is a must. You get to tour a, a factory where they make some of the floats for Mardi Gras. A lot of things I did not realize is that Mardi Gras is not just one parade. It's like different parades at different times of the day, and each parade is by a different parade company. 
Hmm. So like you'll have like Joe's parades will do one parade and then Bob's parades will do another. And then the company does like Mardi Gras world will have their own parade. And I just thought that was interesting. But the biggest thing I thought interesting is uh, there are no commercial floats allowed and no political exhibits allowed hmm. in the parade. Even and I'm better. like, dude, I got to go to Mardi Gras. <laughs> I mean, because no, Mardi don't. Gras is a, about having fun. And about puking in the streets. They had a, a short film about the history of Mardi Gras. It was just fascinating. And uh, it's highly recommended. And uh, when we bought tickets online on Groupon, I qualified as a senior. Yeah. I'm 55, not a senior. <laughs> oh, dude, please. My, my grandmother-in-law would tell my mother-in-law in public, oh, you're 55, you get the senior discount. She's like, shut up. Where's my senior coffee? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go to a McDonald's one day and do that. I don't even drink coffee. Actually, that's not true. When we went down there, we went to Cafe Olay and uh, – or Cafe, Cafe du, Monde, du Monde. And I had a Cafe Olay, and um, I don't drink coffee. Sean knows this. but I, I don't drink coffee either. a slight bit of cream. In it, and uh, <laughs> I just knocked the uh, the sugar <laughs> off of my beignets into the coffee, <laughs> and uh, I rather enjoyed it. This was the original Cafe Du Monde that we went to, and uh, yeah, highly, highly, highly recommend. I could go on and on about New Orleans. Oh, dude! Last night, for the first time ever, I had a beignet. Really, you've never had one before. And I felt bad for it. Well, the thing is, like, I I typically avoid stuff with powdered sugar on it. Oh, understandable. I have nothing against powdered sugar. Like, a powdered sugar donut's quite tasty, but usually when you get something with powdered sugar on it, it's that fried dough crap that you uh-huh. get at State Fair. I can't. Oh, that stuff is so friggin' dry. But I didn't realize that it's essentially cornbread covered uh-huh. with powdered sugar. And the stuff that Jimmy gave us was, like, blueberry-infused. It was amazing. And it was fresh. It, it, they had just been made. It was so amazing just sinking my teeth into that stuff. Oh, it was so good. Now, here's the thing with beignets, especially if you get them at Cafe Du Monde. That means coffee of the world, by the way. Well, but here's the thing about beignets that they make. They put a lot of powdered sugar on them. When I say a lot, I'm sure everybody has seen a meme of the little car. The caption is winter in the Midwest or something like that. And it's got like three feet of snow on top of this little car. That's how much powdered sugar they put on <laughs> on a beignet, uh, relatively speaking. Um, not joking, because there was there was literally like on one there was literally an inch of powdered sugar on top of it, and that's what I knocked <laughs> into my coffee. Good times, good times. They don't sell sweaty balls, by the way. Oh, okay. So I should have looked for an arcade down there. Never, I didn't really though. Oh, you yeah. Yeah, we had fun, and uh, yeah, with that little. We have any news at Denda Arata? Uh, we have uh, some addenda, which is actually an erratum as well, because I realized previous episode I never did talk about the high scores for Namco Collection Two. Oh, you didn't? No, I totally forgot to uh, mention all that stuff. So yeah, there are so many of them. So that's that's probably why. But let me just go over that really quickly. Pac-Man arrangement, there's John Martz III with 536,310, which he scored, well, not scored, but uh, at least it was certified January 6, 2012 by a DVD submission. Dig Dug arrangement, we have Robert Johnson, no, not that guy who sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads because he had been long dead. 
This Robert Johnson scored 771,960 on April 20th, 1997, uh, adjudicated by a referee. There was no track for Rally X arrangement, though, so I found that kind of interesting. Anyway, that's what I had to say. Oh, there was, yeah, I seem to remember, the, you know what, what you did bring up offline afterwards, we never talked about where we first played those Namco Classics collection, Namco Classic Collections games. Outside of MAME, I've never even seen those things. Oh, yeah, did you hear? They're actually in the process of filming Tron 3. Oh, I did not know that. I didn't know about it until yesterday. And I really don't care, because I did not like, yeah, I'm sorry, I just did not like the Tron movie. I liked Tron. Tron Legacy was meh. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Okay. Oh, I thought I had something to bring up, but apparently I can't find it. So, not a big oh, deal. Well. Yeah. So, if we have no other addenda and errata. Yeah, I don't think we have, we have any uh, other addenda and errata. Isn't that what they call it, like in the punk scene in London, the rotter? I don't know. I don't either. Well, anyway, let's just get into a game anyway. here, because this has been an awkward thing with I, when I'll, whilst I try to correct my audio. So Audio. let's get into a game here. Which one do you want to talk about first? You know, let's talk about 10 men. 10 men? Yeah. Why not? I am going to talk about 10 me- uh, X-Men based on the Marvel Wait, comics. Wait, it's X-Men? X-Men. Oh, shit, I played the wrong game. Based on the Marvel comics of the same name. I think around the time this was released, uh, the X-Men was a pretty popular cartoon on the Fox Kids Network. And um, this is uh, from 1992 by Konami... The X-Men movies were not a thing yet. Uh, It comes in a two-player, four-player, six-player model. And um, a six-player model, oh, yeah, we're going to be talking about that in a minute. Yeah. But uh, each player has an eight-way stick uh, with a jump button, attack button, and a mutant power button. And uh, this game is one of your typical Konami beat-em-ups, like Ninja Turtles or The Simpsons or Mm -hmm. what's another one, Sunset Riders or whatever. The object of the game is to find and rescue Professor X, who was captured by uh, Magneto. Magneto is a um, mutant who has the powers of magnets. How do they work? I don't know. So yeah, Professor X's special power is telepathy. He created the uh, Charles Xavier School for Gifted Individuals or something like that. I don't remember the exact name. <laughs> but uh, I remember liking the cartoon when I was younger, but I couldn't care less about the movies any- anymore, but... So, the game you can play as one of six characters. And I go into their history a little bit here. One you can play as is Cyclops, otherwise known as Scott Summers. Uh, his superpower is he, uh, he can shoot laser beams from his eyes. In fact, he has to wear special goggles or he'll do nothing but shoot laser beams. Then you have Colossus, whose name is Peter Nikolavidovich Rasputin. And uh, his uh, mutant power is he can uh, grow big. Oh, he can transform also into a living organic metal form, granting superhuman strength and near vulnerability. The most famous of the X-Men is uh, Wolverine, is uh, James Logan Howlett. His power is he has regenerative regenerative powers. Which, regenerative? Uh, regenerative. Regenerative? I don't remember. He can heal, which he can't do in the game for obvious reasons. But he also has these adamantum claws that come out of his hands that he can kill people with or hurt them or whatever. Storm, whose name is Orowo Igati Chala Wakandas. Hello, we are looking for the one who calls himself the King of Wakanda. Okay. Oh, I wonder if she was a 
part of the Black Panther universe before she became into the went into the X Men. Just given her last name. Oh. But at any rate, she can control weather. Lightning bolts, rain, wind, snow. Oh, so she's Tom Skilling, basically. Well, we don't know that Tom Skilling can control the weather, but I have a sneaking suspicion on that. Huh. Uh, then there's one called Nightcrawler. His name is real name is Kurt Wagner. His uh, his power is he can uh, he can teleport anywhere, but for it to be successful, he has to be able to see what's on the other side. Like he could theoretically get stuck in a block of concrete. Oh, yeah, that's kind so, of inconvenient. Very inconvenient. Dazzler whose real name is Allison Blair. She can uh, transform energy into stuff like uh, like flashes of light, uh, fireworks, laser beams, holograms, that sort of thing. And those are the six players. Basically went briefly into Professor X. Oh, I'm sorry, it's the Xavier Institute for Higher Learning. And then Magneto. And this is interesting. There is, I don't know if it's canon in the comic books, but it is in the movies, that Magneto and uh, Professor X were actually friends at one time. They became enemies based on their ways to uh, achieve harmony between humans and the mutants. And it's kind of a uh, parallel between uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Malcolm X, actually. There's kind of like Uh that same dynamic there. They had different methods for uh, achieving brotherhood, and that's kind of the same thing that happens there. Magneto in the movies is a very interesting character because... He, was, as a child, was a prisoner during the Holocaust. And the Nazis found out that he can uh, manipulate metal using magnetism. I don't remember which X-Men movie they dealt into the history of him. But he's one of the more interesting characters in any uh, superhero movie I have ever seen. And That uh, sounds like it. Yeah, and um, his story is really fascinating. <laughs> we brought up the uh, Moody Blues album, Days of Future Past. There's actually an X-Men Great movie album. called Days of Future Past, P-A-S-T. I think that one goes more into the uh, founding era of the X-Men, which is where Magneto and Professor X had their uh, had their falling out. And uh, that one was pretty good. I liked that one. I've seen the two or three of the movies. I saw the, the original, which was pretty good. And then uh, Days of Future Past was really good. Okay, I saw X-Men 2. That one was pretty good, too. Didn't see the third one. I haven't heard anything good about it. And then there's been spinoffs. Uh, there's been a couple of Wolverine spinoffs in the in that same time period. But uh, yeah, so that's most of what I know about the characters. Now, as far as the game goes, there are six different levels. There are seven levels. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, well, the six levels in the game are Sentinel Factory, and the boss in that one is a mutant called Pyro. There's the Island Jungle... Uh, the, the mutant in that one is Blob. There's an island cave, and that mutant is Wendigo. And there's the outside of the island cave, and that's Nimrod, Mighty Hunter. Then there's a trap, or the ruins, that one, the White Queen. Then on Magneto's base, you have Juggernaut. And in the battle with Magneto, you have to battle Mystique first. She's a shapeshifter. She, you think you're battling Magneto, but it's actually Mystique. You defeat her, Ooh. and then uh, you go out to... To defeat Magneto. Oh, by the way, um, hmm? in the first couple movies, uh, Mystique was played by Rebecca Romaine Stamos, and uh, she appeared mostly nude with like blue scales uh, attached to her skin, and uh, she has fulfilled more than one male's fantasies. But I'll just leave it at that. She was yeah, damn, let's, she was uh, damn hot in that movie. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm just, seriously, I'm surprised the movie didn't get an R rating for how for her makeup job. 
as with any of these Konami beat-em-up games, and I'm including uh, G.I. Joe in, in this, even though it wasn't a beat-em-up, uh, scoring is like one point for it's whatever. Like one for everything yeah. you... <laughs> and uh, on the one hand, it's refreshing to see something that doesn't end in an arbitrary zero all the time, which is what most games oh, do. Oh, yeah. But then on the other hand, it's like, where's my arbitrary zero? You know? <laughs> so It's like Desert Bus. Oh, where you right. Get one because, point for yeah. every time you complete the journey. And isn't isn't it like ninety nine points is the maximum in that game? Oh, I I don't know that much. And uh, because then you got to go drive to to Vegas, you get the point, and then you got to make the trick back, and then and yep. it takes like I think they said it takes like a it's month. It's real time, but in real time, yeah, it takes like a month to fix finish that game. <laughs> one thing about this game is, I said there's an attack button, a jump button, and a uh, mutant power button. One thing about this game versus other beat 'em ups is other beat 'em ups. Once enemies on the ground, you got to wait for them to get back up. You can actually still attack enemies that are on the ground in this game, which is different from most games. And with the mutant power button, I don't remember exactly how it works, but you get like a a uh, like a symbol underneath your score that shows you know how many mutant powers you have left. But it also takes energy off of your player every time you use it. Let me rephrase that: when you use it. Uh, Use a mutant power, it'll take the symbol off. But you can still use it, but every time after the symbol, it takes energy off of your player, which I hate that, because <laughs> it makes the game a lot harder than it needs to be. I don't know. But uh, some trivia about the game. Ooh, do tell. It's loosely based on the 1989 X-Men cartoon called Pride of the X-Men. Pride, P-R-Y-D-E. In the game, Nightcrawler is actually misspelled with an O instead of an A, like C-R-O-W-L-E-R. King Records released a uh, limited edition soundtrack album for this game in on December 21st, 1992. And there's Ooh. tons of bad grammar in this game, like, I am Magneto, King of Magnet. That's actually technically 100% correct, grammar-wise. How so? It should be King of Magnets. Well, if what if you're only King of One Magnet? Shut up. <laughs> no, there's nothing grammatically incorrect with it. It's contextually, what? probably, but... Okay, it's contextually, but it's it's like all. Of hey, these other new games. listeners, can you guess which one's the pet ant in this podcast? Yeah, it's Sean. <laughs> now I said I'd get back to the uh, six-player cabinet. Oh yeah. Now I've never seen a two or a four-player, and the two or four-player you can select which character you want to be. Where versus the six-player, it's listed on the uh, control panel. Like this controller is for Colossus, this is for Wolverine, this is for Cyclops, so on and so forth. And the six-player cabinet is has, first of all, there's so many people on the screen that there's two monitors. And they have one mounted mm-hmm. straight up, but they have the other one mounted on the bottom and reflecting on a mirror just yes. to kind of keep them from being like a an edge in the middle of the screen. I've seen some games that do that, but uh, but this one, it actually works rather well, too, because the, uh, the images overlap <sighs> nicely, I think. Well, okay, there's some overlap, but you can easily, at least when I played it, I could easily tell where the overlap was. Right, but you don't have, like, the the bezel of the monitor in the way. Yeah, which we'll talk about later, by the way. Oh? But at any rate, the one interesting thing about this game is uh, over at Underground Retrocade, they have this on the second floor, and this cabinet is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you thought something... massive. Yeah, if you thought, like, say, the gauntlet cabinet was big, it's not big compared to this. I was asking uh, Scott over there, Underground Retrocade, how the hell did you get that up onto the second floor? First of all, th- th- as far as I know, they don't have an elevator to the second floor. At least not. I don't a, think so. No. Yeah, at least not a uh, 
uh, one for the general public. He was telling me, first of all, they have like a, a, a cart that'll walk up the stairs. But the most important thing is the, uh, the cabinet comes apart into three pieces. Just like France. Like the control panel area is like one piece. And then the part on, sits on top with the monitors is a second piece. And then the base is the third piece. And so you can take it apart like three pieces at a time. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Scott, but that, I, be, I believe that's what you had said. But it's been years since you told me this. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a huge cabinet. Now, I have seen bigger. There's, uh, what's the game? They have it at Galloping Ghost. It's like Darius EX or something like that. Mm-hmm. This puts even the X-Men machine to shame with how huge that is. That's a game we'll probably talk about at some point. But uh, big, big, big machine. Like I said, I mean, other than everything we just went through, it's a typical Konami beat-em-up. You've heard us talk about Ninja Turtles. You've heard us talk about The Simpsons. It's basically the same thing with the X-Men. It's, it's the same thing. In fact, I think we reported in one of those episodes that uh, basically Konami was just looking to slap any license they could get on one of these uh, beat-em-up games. And uh, that's sure sure feels like it. I mean, they add yep. a little bit different to each of them, but not enough to really make them stand out. I think the six-player thing was a good move on this one. Yeah. So what do you think of the game, Sean? Well, I'm surprised that you did not point out the obvious uh, philosophy going on in the game. For example, how deeply intense this game is with the Wuberian principles of the Ick and the Do, contrasting with the Ayn Randian principles of the virtue of selfishness. And that's clearly played out in such characters as, well, Magneto sticks out in my mind. So I was really super impressed with all that. Well, actually, that's a big fat f***ing lie. (laughs) I was impressed by nothing, 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 (laughs) nothing, except that interesting little monitor combination where one was a reflection and one was the actual monitor itself. I thought that was was a pretty uh, interesting way to do things. The control panel is confusing. I disagree. The gameplay was just yet another Konami fight and go right. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And also, I, I I'm going to tell you just my general ennui with superhero stuff. Okay, it's more of a reflection of the times now than it was at the times in say 1992 when this game came out. Is that nowadays you you can't throw a dead cat without hitting something superhero either from the Marvel universe yeah. or the DC universe? It's just so ubiquitous that I I, I just can't I, I just can't even. You know, I saw the first two Iron Man movies. I didn't see any of the other Marvel movies. I'm a sucker for a Batman movie, so I've seen pretty much all of them that have come out in the theater. I do have to say, yeah, the Batman with Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson was a really good Batman. Paul Dano was a really good Riddler. Movie dragged in a few parts, uh, but uh, Colin Farrell was a really good Penguin. And I loved in the Batman how uh, the Batmobile was just a straight-up Dodge supercar. No fancy gimmicks, no nothing. It was just a Dodge muscle car right there out on the streets. So that was awesome. Oh, and I wanted to bring this up, actually, because we're talking about mm-hmm. superheroes. But I'm thinking about how Batman, uh, his superpower, he's, he's rich, and Iron Man, he's rich, and a few others. At the, from now on, I'm considering the Ghostbusters superheroes. They don't have any really? superpowers, but they have equipment. Batman has no superpowers, but he has equipment. Oh, Iron well, Man okay, has can, no superpowers, but he has equipment. So from now on, the Ghostbusters are superheroes. 
I can't disagree. I, that that's perfectly sound logic to me. Yeah, I mean, they're, the Ghostbusters aren't rich. Other than that, they're the same as Batman and Tony Stark. So yeah, right. But at any rate, yeah, I'm tired of uh, superhero stuff myself. But like I said, I am a sucker for Batman movies. And I will see the next The Batman with Robert Pattinson. But uh, yeah. Oh yeah, and I'm gonna see. Uh, Joker 2 when it comes out this year. It's Joker 2, like Joya de Full or something like that with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Lady Gaga in this one. And that's supposed to be a musical, that's the rumor, but I'm still going to go see it. If you haven't seen Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, you're missing out. Joaquin Phoenix deserved the Oscar he got for playing the Joker. It was a really good film. And the talk show host scene is the most disturbing scene I have seen in a movie in a long time. Let's just say uh, the interplay between Robert De Niro and Joaquin Phoenix is intense in that scene. But at any rate, that's not X-Men. But do see that movie. Here's my opinion on this movie, or on this game. Yes? It's okay. However, if you can get six people playing it at the same time, and you all know each other, it's a blast. And my review is going to uh, reflect that. But before we do that, why don't we uh, talk about some uh, scores? Yeah, why don't we? Uh, Anyway, according to the Twin Galaxies scoreboard, I'm going to guess at the pronunciation of this gentleman's name, Bill Toops. Uh, Bill, if I'm messing up your name, I apologize. April 20th, 1997, he scored 830 points. Whoa! 830. Wow, that's a huge number for a video game. And uh, Arcade.com has uh, Andrew Ivashko, a galloping ghost uh, mainstay as uh, scoring 1,340 points on June 20th, 2022. 1,340? Yep. kind of wonder how he get a score like that. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, given that it's Orcade and uh, Galloping Ghost and how they always plead with people to record everything, there's probably video of it somewhere. I'm wondering if he played it multiplayer, because in a lot of these games, when you play multiplayer, it brings out more enemies. Oh, yeah, could be. Yeah, there isn't a separate track on either for multiplayer. Oh, dude, we should get a six-player track going. Go for it. <laughs> no, seriously, because there's no there's no track for it. And uh, what was it you said about the easiest way to get a world record? Get a world record on something that's never been played before. Yeah, something that's never been played before or, or a feat something that's, that's never really, been really obscure, which is how I was able to have a Twin Galaxies world record for a while. So we got our work cut out for us. Yeah, I think I think my Twin Galaxies account got wiped out some time ago for due to inactivity, so yeah, I, I can't. And even then, you have to have certain access levels to create tracks, Oh, which I did not yet have. Like, you have to adjudicate a certain number of games. What and, about on Orcade? Um, I think that's up to Doc. Well, we could run that by him. Okay, so with X-Men, what are you going to rate it? And I think I already know. Well, again, I mean, it's really impressive how the Buberian and the Randian philosophies coexist in this game, uh, which is causing me to uh, rate this game on our scale of one to five continues, inclusive, those of you who are new to this podcast. Uh, Of course, the better the game, the higher the score, the bigger the number. I'm going to have to go with um, approximately a one. Hey, my finger was hovering over the key. I sent you a private message after I, I played this. I hate this game. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what was really disappointing to me was I was waiting a long time to play this friggin' game because uh, there was this guy, and I'm guessing his son, probably about seven or eight years old, 
playing this game like forever and ever. And I was like, okay, I got to get a chance to play this guy. I think they were trying to play it to the end and probably did. And I'm thinking, okay, if this held the interest of someone roughly my age and someone roughly much younger than both of us, this has got to be an awesome game that you just can't step away from at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Twas not. Twas not. Okay, here's my rating for this game. Last time I played it in the arcade with a bunch of people, we I had it, I was with a group of six people. The people we were with were going to be moving out of out of state, and they just wanted to have a group of you know a bunch of people go to Galloping Ghost. So we got six people on this machine, and with six people, I had a freaking blast. Single player, it gets tedious. So yeah. I'm averaging out my scores between six player and one player, and so I'm going to give it a three. That's just an average. Single player, I give like a two. Multiplayer, I'll give a four. So I'm giving it a three. It's one of those games that I think really depends on who you're playing with. I could probably understand that. I so, probably could. I'm giving it a th- I'm being generous in this one. Uh, there we are. And with that, uh, I think it's... Do we have an underwriter today, Sean? Uh, no, they're, it's uh, fiscal, so they're going through everything now, and they can't really underwrite anybody at this time, so... Ah, uh, auditing. Maybe next uh, year. Th- yep, yep. Should have thought as much. So why don't we move on to uh, Buggy Boy or Speed Buggy? Oh, um, do I get to choose which one? Yes, in fact. Well, you know what? I'm going to talk about both. Buggy Boy. And not only that, I'm going to throw in an extra bonus game. Buggy Boy Jr. You know why? Why? Because they're all the same damn game. Buggy Boy, Buggy Boy Jr. and Speed Buggy are all the same game. (gasps) Sean, whatever do you mean? Oh, dear listener, uh... Please do continue to listen, and I shall explain. Buggy Boy is a game that was released by Tatsumi in July 1985 over in Japan, and the game was licensed out to Data East for North American distribution, and in North America, the game was not called Buggy Boy, but Speed Buggy. And uh, it took me a long time to kind of sort this all out, but uh, there are at least two different arcade cabinets of this game. There's a full-size cockpit. Cockpit! And there's a standard upright cabinet. I think there was also a narrow version of the cockpit game. I say I think because, spoiler alert, there is a home version, and on the box art for the home version, there's a picture of what looks like a narrow version of the Buggy Boy cabinet. But from what I could gather, Buggy Boy is the full-sized cockpit version the narrow cockpit and the stand-up versions are called Buggy Boy Jr., except in North America, where all three versions are just called Speed Buggy. Oh, you know, when I was uh, researching X-Men, I was so hoping that uh, I would come across a manual for uh, for the game, but I just came across some uh, promotional flyers that were all in Japanese, and I'm like, ah, this is no good. But I did come across the... No, correction. I did come across a manual for X-Men, but it was all like electronic uh, schematics and stuff like that. I wanted yeah. to, I was hoping to get some sort of a dramatic reading going based on the storyline, but unfortunately, I couldn't find anything that would fit the bill. Oh, you couldn't use Google Translate and hold your phone up to the screen and have it translate? Really? You could do that with Google Translate? Yeah, when we talked about that uh, a couple episodes ago. Oh, what was that one game that was only in Japan? Oh, Fozon. Yeah, Fozon. Like, that's what I did to get all the translations, what it says in Japanese, what it, what they mean in English. I just held my phone up to the screen, had Google Translate uh, translate it from Japanese. Holy crap, I didn't realize it was a separate app. I could just keep going to the website. 
This Pie Factory podcast listeners is what we call a teachable moment. But anywho, um, I've been liking to discuss the control panels of arcade games recently, so hey, why don't I continue that with uh, Buggy Boy Speed Buggy, whatever else have you. On the main control panel that's at roughly hip level, your mid your mid regions, let's just say. You got a steering uh-huh. wheel, and over on the right there's a gear lever for high and low. And down below at your foot level, you have an accelerator pedal. Now I don't remember where, but I don't remember if it was on the arcade panel itself in the instructions it talks about the brake or what. But I did not see a brake pedal, and in the cockpit version, I don't think there's a brake pedal. In the operator manual, there is a mention of a brake, but it says not used. So, I don't know what that is. But one of the MAME ROMs I was playing actually had a brake option. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it was if you hit the uh, alt key, that was your brake. And it sure functioned like a brake. So... I I don't know. I don't know. But regardless, you basically have a little miniature car setup. Having said that, Speed Buggy, Buggy Boy, whatever you want to call it, the object is to drive through one of five different courses and reach the checkpoints for each leg within the allotted time. And there are five legs you have to go through to complete the game. You get points just for driving, and you pick up bonus points here and there by running over certain items, and there are obstacles that you have to avoid or perhaps use to your advantage. The display is interesting. On the full-size cockpit, you have three monitors. They're separate monitors. Unlike with X-Men, you don't have one that's a reflection. They're all just three separate monitors you look head-on into. And uh, they don't overlap with each other. They have bezels around them or bezels, however the hell that word's pronounced. Uh, Having said that, all of the important action that you're actually going to pay attention to is in the middle. As far as I'm concerned, the left and right monitors are just for show, just to make the game look bigger than it actually is. Speaking of uh, the monitors, I'll talk about the display. This is mainly on the middle monitor or the single monitor if you're playing the narrow version of the game. Up at the upper left corner, you will see the name of the course that you're currently using, and right below that, there's a live map of that course showing you where in the course that you are. In the middle of the top of the screen, there's a countdown timer telling you how many seconds left you have until you cross the checkpoint for that leg, and then underneath that, you're told what leg you're actually on, be it the first, second, third, whatever. In the upper right corner, there are five flag icons that indicate what flags you need to pick up in which order to get a bonus, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little tiny bit. And underneath the flag indicator, there is your score on the left and your speed in kilometers per hour on the right. And underneath all that, there are indicators of the number of time banners that you have driven under, and I'll talk more about that in a little bitty bit. So the way you play the game, after you deposit a coin or a token, you are given a screen that asks you to select a course. You use the steering wheel to pick a course, and once you highlight the course that you want, you hit the accelerator pedal. The first and default course is simply called Off-Road, and uh, for that course, one lap is considered a leg, so you have to do five laps to complete the game. Another course that you have is the North course, which according to the control panel on the Buggy Boy version of the game is Monte Carlo, which is uh, inspired by the annual Monte Carlo rally event run by the Automobile Club de Monaco 
and was started by Prince Albert the First in 1911. Was he in a when he thought about this? I don't know. And the checkpoints are named after Saint Etienne, which, by the way, is French for Stephen, Viviers or Vivier. I don't know if uh, yeah, I'm not going to get get deep into a French lesson here. There's uh, Briancol and Digne. Those are the stop points. Uh, they're not indicated by those names on the screen, but that's what they represent. The South Course is based on the Southern Cross Rally, which was held mainly in Port Macquarie in New South Wales, Australia from 1966 through 1980. And the uh, checkpoints are based on Tasman Sea, Dungog, Mount Banda, and uh, I don't know how this is pronounced, Tiao, I'm going to guess, T-I-A-O. There's the East Course, which is based on the Safari Rally that started in 1953 to celebrate the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. And at first it was called the East African Coronation Safari. Then in 1960, it was called the East African Safari Rally. And then it was called the Safari Rally starting in 1974. And uh, it was part of the World Rally Championship starting in 1973 up through 2002 at which point it became part of the African Rally Championship before it returned to the World Rally Championship after the COVID pandemic ended. So I, I was not expecting to learn this much about this damn game, by the way. <laughs> but the uh, checkpoints in uh, the safari course are the Indian Ocean, Kilimanjaro, Lake Victoria, Narok Bank, and Mount Kenya. And finally, there's the West Course, which is based on the Paris-Dakar Rally, Currently known as the Dakar Rally, by the way, and it was called Paris Dakar by the Amari Sport Organization because it usually starts in Paris, France, and ends in Dakar, Senegal. And the checkpoints are named after Mount Tamachi. I'm not gonna. I'm, I totally couldn't find a way to pronounce that. Uh, Tawak, Niame, and the Atlantic Ocean. So anyway, those are the courses. And after you hit the accelerator, the game begins after a little countdown. And, of course, what you want to do is reach the next checkpoint before time runs out. You get 70 seconds to complete the first leg, 60 for the second, and then 50 seconds for each of the third, fourth, and fifth legs. Now, there are banners that you can drive under, some of which will give you a three-digit point bonus, like 250 points, 100 points, whatever. And there are other banners you can drive under that, are, that simply have the word time on them. And if you drive under those banners you get time added on to complete the next leg. It's not time added on for the current leg, but the next leg. So basically, if you have 10 seconds left and you run into a time banner, that bonus time does not get added to the current leg. You have to finish the current leg, and then those bonus points get added to the next leg. As for scoring, this is I, I found this fascinating, how the, there's so many different ways to score and gain bonuses and things. Uh, just like any other driving-slash-racing game, as long as you're driving, you are picking up points, like usually 10 points per half second or something. I wasn't able to figure out how long it takes those 10 points to add up. It might be by distance, but basically you're constantly incrementing by 10 points. If I recall correctly, this is another game where you can, uh, it's a uh, pretty high scoring. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. It depends I mean, on how no, well you're... it's not on the level of say like space Harrier. Yeah. It's not like those Sega racing games. Yeah. But uh, you get a three-digit points for driving under various banners with different point values and two-digit points for driving through colored flags. Now, having said that, going back to how I mentioned there are colored flag indicators on the upper right corner of the screen, uh -huh. what you do is if you collect flags of those colors in that order, you get bonus points. 
So it might show you a red flag and a dark blue flag and a yellow flag and a purple flag and a light blue flag. So if you pick up flags of those colors in that order, you get a bonus. Now, the cool thing about that is it doesn't have to be consecutive. Like say your first two flags are red and then yellow. You can pick up a red flag and then a blue flag. And when you pick up the yellow flag, it'll still count as picking up a red flag followed by a yellow flag. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just the order that counts, not the consecutiveness. Like you don't have to avoid the other colored flags to get the credits. Oh, you just have to get the color. You, you have to it get doesn't the matter color. which order yeah. they're in. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. for what I can tell, the determination of which color flags you need to get in which order, the order is random, I think. If you do get the flag bonus, there's going to be a period of time in which the flag indicators at the upper right corner are going to basically color cycle and flash and things. And while that is happening, any flag that you pick up in the race is considered a wild card that counts as credit toward your next flag accumulations, which is really cool because you can keep those things going for a long time if you're good enough. In later legs, a soccer ball will appear in the middle of the road just out of nowhere. And if you run into that soccer ball and kind of boot it off the screen, off in the distance, you get a 2,000-point bonus. Why did they do that? I have no idea. There's some other bonuses you can get. Uh, You'll see debris in the road, like logs, tree stumps, and things that are kind of like just lying down in the middle of the road. You can use those to your advantage by running over them, and you'll go airborne. And you can use that to jump over objects that are in your way, possibly further down the line. That can also hurt you in a way, because if you land and you're unable to turn away from something really quickly, uh, you could basically get into an accident, flip your car. And what I've found is if you flip your car more than once, you're not going to finish the leg. You're not going to. But you get a little bit of a bonus for being airborne after you uh, run over a log or a tree branch or whatever. They're also little smaller things. I couldn't tell for sure what they were. They're like little rocks or something. And if you run over one of those, your car is going to suddenly kind of rotate itself and you're going to be riding literally on only two wheels. And during the time you are riding on the two wheels, the two, like the two right wheels or the two left wheels, any points you earn are double. So riding on two wheels is actually a good thing in this game. You want to do that uh, whenever possible. So lots of ways to get extra points. Basically, the different courses have different levels of difficulty and different obstacles, different ways you can drive around. For example, On at least one of the non-off-road courses, you can actually drive on a wall almost sideways. That's pretty cool. It's a good way to avoid like construction barriers and boulders in the middle of the road and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. So yeah, good luck with that. It is so hard for me to avoid the uh, construction barriers. You have to drive very carefully, very tightly. And of course, like with any other driving game, it's all too easy to overcompensate and undercompensate. I don't remember which course it is, but there's one of them in the game where it's like, it's a bridge and it's uh, going over water, duh. But there's like a a log right in front of it, and then if you jump, you will not make the uh, like the turn because the bridge curves. You will not make the turn successfully. At least I have the problem with that. Can't remember which course that's on, but Mm. this game can get a little tricky with the steering. Oh yeah, yeah, it actually absolutely can. And also, once you finish your first leg, you're going to be sharing the road with other drivers, so you got to watch out for them. Watch out for snakes and snakes. But what I like about that is you can kind of make the other drivers run into bridges and things and watch them blow up. That's really cool. 
But um, that, that's basically the gameplay and scoring pattern of uh, Speed Buggy, Buggy Boy, whatever. Uh, Jimmy G, do you, I've been talking a long time. What do you? What, do you have anything else to contribute? Why, otherwise, uh, your observations, etc. I love this game a lot. <laughs> the things that really make this for me is, first of all, it's not based on realism. The graphics are kind of whimsical, I guess, in a way. Yeah. And it's just, it's not going for realism, it's just going for a fun time. Yes, I totally agree. And uh, with the uh, the construction barriers and the logs that make you jump and the stumps that make you, or rocks or whatever, that make you go on one side. And then the, some courses you can actually drive up on the angled walls. Yep. And you're not going a million miles an hour. It's not based on, even though it's called speed buggy in the United States, it's not really going after speed. It's going after, it, the game's more about maneuvering. Yes, Than it I is agree. about the speed. You still need to go fast. You need to be in high gear well, to yeah. make it to I the mean, end yeah, of the you, leg. You still got timer in that, but it's not going for the illusion of speed. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And um, I just have a, a lot of fun when I play this game. And um, yeah, it's it, it's a, it's a nice change from like the hyper realism of Daytona. Yeah, which I love, by the way. I oh I I love Daytona, but this game's going for something totally opposite. And uh, I think this game may have been more created to appeal to maybe a younger player, which, again, given the graphics and the sound effects. But, uh, yeah, there's just something about this game that I really enjoy. I think it got all of the uh, essence of what makes a good driving game. Because I won't, even though this is a racing game, I don't call it a racing game. I call it a driving game. Sure. Uh, I think it got all of the elements right to make it fun, enjoyable, and with four courses... Uh, it's easy to come back to. I never get bored with this one. And um, I love when you roll in the, the different sound effects uh, when you uh, when you roll into in, into like a, a banner or pick up a flag. Do, 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 oh, you yeah. Know? yeah. This is a fun game. I yeah, really this, like this, this one. Yeah, I like the sound effects too. They kind of make me want to play more. They, they, yes. It's like, oh, there's this thing. Let's hear, let me uh, make that sound effect happen. I like those. And then when you pick up all the flags, do, 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 you know. Yeah. Oh, my highest score in arcade.com has not been updated yet. Ooh, I'm going to have to... Oh, speaking of which, we forgot to mention where we first played X-Men. I first played X-Men at Underground Retrocade on uh, January, December 30th, 2023. I first played uh, X-Men at the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall low those years ago. Oh, which wow. is actually the same for Buggy Boy. Oh, okay. Or... Actually, I think it was Speed Buggy. Then. Yeah, I first played Buggy Boy, Speed Buggy, whatever. Again, an underground retro game. I was surprised that, that uh, Galloping Ghost didn't have this because one of the, one of the reasons I went to the Ghost to see if they had the uh, triple monitor version. But yeah, they don't they don't have uh, the game at all. But at uh, Retrocade, I fr- that is where I first played it because yeah, I don't remember ever seeing this before. But I judging from my arcade.com history, I played it for the first time at the absolute earliest sometime in 2020, but I'm pretty sure I played it before then too. So did you, you didn't mention any ports? I did not yet. Uh, there were several, there were, I was surprised at how many home ports there were of buggy boy. There's one for Commodore 64. In fact, I have reason to believe there might be two different ones for Commodore 64, uh, by different companies. One, I think on floppy disk and another on cartridge. There's one for Commodore Amiga. There's one for Atari ST. I had the Atari ST one. That was 
I played the hell out of that one. That one in the Amiga versions, those are graphically, those are really good. They do seem to be a little bit choppy, though, the Amiga more so. Uh-huh. Amstrad CPC has it. The ZX Spectrum had it. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, the Commodore 64 one is surprisingly good. And I have to piggyback off of that because yeah. a little bit ago, I was uh, I was doing a Google Play search, or not a Google, I was doing a search for uh, Buggy Boy or Speed Buggy. I was wanting to look something up, but I couldn't find uh, information on it. And one of the uh, things that uh, my search returned was Buggy Boy for Android. Really? Uh, now, there's this guy named C- on, on, Android, on Google Play called C64 Arcade Games, and he ported the C64 bu- Buggy Boy to Android for $849. Huh. I don't know if it's very new, but it's updated on January 12th of last year. Huh. So uh, it's not been out for a long time, but I was looking at this guy. He's got like the great Gianna sisters, C sixty four Crackout, Iridium, Hero, Whizball, Burger Time, Port Apocalypse, Arkanoid, Zaxxon, Dig Dug, Pogo Joe, Choplifter, Last Ninja Three, Yer Kung Fu, Cauldron, C sixty four Outrun, Blue Max, Turrican, Paperboy, Quest for Tires. He's ported a lot of C64 stuff to Android, and they range in price from $349 for, say, like the original Outrun to $849 for a Buggy Boy. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's in the Android store. The thing is, I thought this hilarious. You know how it has, like, the name of the thing and the ESRB rating and yeah. you know, all that stuff? Downloads, 10 plus. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm not taking responsibility for anything happening to your phone, but, uh, yeah, it looks all right. I'd probably just load a C64 emulator on my phone and then download the ROM for this somewhere. Legally, yeah. of course. Yeah, that is one of the things about iPhone because they're really super strict in the Apple store. Like they, they literally have human beings looking over every submission. They won't allow emulators because they don't want unlicensed stuff running on their devices. Mm-hmm. But I think if you jailbreak it, you can find a lot more. Fr- <laughs> well, we talked about the yeah. uh, the one emul the the MAME emulator in uh, what was the game Pagel? Oh, like that. I, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, there was one that was hidden. It was a back door that the people at Apple yeah because didn't because check, didn't what happened they they ported the game. Yeah, when they ported the game, they didn't just rewrite it from scratch. It just emulated uh, the arcade rob and then uh, yeah left a back door to the emulator. Yeah, so I am going to have. I want to play this again, and I think I'm going to look for it for my uh, Atari ST emulator. Yeah. Again, I love this. Game. And by the way, of course, we do we do not endorse in any way like copyright infringement of any way. But oh no! Just off the record, let's just say, even though like everybody listening to this podcast is going to hear it, it's still very playable in Mame. It is. I was using the uh, trackpad on my laptop with great success, so. Yeah, without any yeah, I was just using uh, mouse pretty good. Yeah, with yeah. The, you know, and one thing I don't remember if this is in the arcade version, but one thing I do like about uh, racing games that are emulated in Mame, they have a little visual representation of the gear shift. Yes, yes, that's great. Yeah, I, I love like that. that. And it's very arcade accurate because in the arcade game, it's not a button; it's an actual lever that's always mm-hmm. in one position or another, and the yes. emulation reflects that. So I guess the question at this point, well, no, actually. This is your game, so you I'll let you take it over. Okay, so yeah, I, I like to acknowledge people who score well in these games, so I shall uh, do that at this particular moment. According to Twin Galaxies, Twin Galaxies scores are kind of interesting. The off-road record 
is by a user who goes by the handle of Falcor781 with a score of 148,350. That is super high for any of these tracks, actually, because, man, you got to pick up so many bonuses and last all five legs. Um, he pulled that off on December 28th, 2022. Now, as for the other, the non-off-road tracks, north, south, east, and west, uh-huh. all the Twin Galaxies high scores are from the same day, June 29th, 1986, which makes me think there must have been some kind of tournament going on. Uh-huh. And uh, let's see, for the north track, Danny Carranza scored 151,870. For the south track, Mark Foster scored 177,480. East uh-huh. track, uh, East course, I should say. Tim Moreno scored 105,440. And for the West course, Mark Haber scored 160,230. Interestingly, that was for Speed Buggy. Twin Galaxies has a separate entry for Speed Buggy and a separate entry for Buggy Boy. Buggy Boy only has a single track listing on there. They don't have individual tracks for each course. And I don't know what course this is. It just simply says factory default. I'm going to assume this was the off-road track because that's the one uh-huh. that is automatically highlighted for you when you start the game. Uh-huh. Uh, for this one, Peter Huskin uh, scored, oh, what the hell did he score? It was October 4th, 1986. Uh, Peter Huskin scored 103,200 points the day after my 12th birthday. Anyway, um, I don't know about you, Jimmy G, but I super, super seriously loved, still love, uh, speed buggy slash buggy boy. Uh, I've only played speed buggy versions of it. I've never played uh-huh. a buggy boy version of it, but they're the same game really they right. operate the same way. Uh, a couple of other observations just, I just want to make is that uh, for one thing, this game is probably patternable because I did know when to expect which obstacles as they were happening. Yeah. I, yeah. The obstacles do appear this. in the same, uh, same order every time. Yeah, so it's easy to figure out where you're going to have to dodge, when you're going to have to hurry up and get over to the far left to grab that time bonus. Now, I think the enemy buggies uh, do uh, introduce a random element to it, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was playing this for a long time in Underground Retrocade on the 30th of December, and I got to talk about this. Um, I mentioned once or twice before that for the first time ever, This past summer, my wife and I actually left North America. We spent uh, about a week in London. And to answer another user's question, did I go to a famous intersection there? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Duh. And uh, while I was there, like we did hella walking. Hella? We did so much friggin' walking, like miles and miles every day, because we were just walking everywhere. And the last day of the trip, when we got back to our hotel room, I sat down in the bed, took off my sandals. My feet were hurting like a mofo. They were in severe, excruciating pain. And uh, anytime I stood up, I couldn't walk. I had to give my feet a few seconds to kind of compose themselves before I could walk again. And then once I started walking, everything was fine. The next day, my right foot fully recovered. My left foot did not recover at all. Still the same thing, excruciating pain, couldn't walk when I first stood up, had to wait for my left foot to not hurt anymore, and then once when I walked, it was it was okay, I could walk fine. That pain did not go away at all. I went through eight weeks of physical therapy on that foot. It got better, but it didn't heal. It was still, they told me, yeah, just keep doing these exercises and all this. I mean, and yeah, I mean, it was definitely a huge improvement over when I left London. 
and to this day, it's still not fully recovered. But uh, um, the speed buggy that's at Retrocade is uh-huh. the standard upright stand-up version. And the uh, accelerator pedal is on the right, so you have to use your right foot on it, which meant that I was putting all my weight on my left yeah. foot for, like, hours at a time. And um, those of you who have never seen me, I am a big guy. I am tall and very overweight. Nothing I can do about the tall part, but I'm definitely trying on the other part. But when you're built like me and you're putting all that weight on your left foot for all that time, on your left foot that was injured, I could barely walk when the arcade was closing and I had to leave. I hobbled to my car (laughs) and oh my God, it was awful. Oh, been there, done that. What is it with both of us in the last year, like ruining our foot somewhere? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, though, between December 30th and now, something happened with my foot that it's a lot better now. It's significantly, Uh it's still not 100%, but it is significantly better now. Having said that, was it worth the pain? Was it worth all the pain to play Speed Buggy? Yes. It was. It absolutely was. So on our Pie Factory podcast scale, one to five continues inclusive. Uh-huh. Well, also factoring in this, I know this isn't really fair, but I also, I'm also factoring in that it's an analog driving game and it's still very playable and MAME without a steering wheel. This game gets five continues from Sean. And it gets a five from me as well. Wow. This is just a, like I said, it's not about the race. It's just about being, a, a, it's, it's a good time game. It's a feel-good game, you know? Because, oh, yeah, yeah. And it, I love, in, in most games, it's like your car will, like, explode or whatever. This just does a little flip, you know, whenever you hit something. Yeah. I do like the uh, splash when you uh, <laughs> when you fall oh, in the yeah. water. That's kind of funny. I usually slide off the road at that point. Yeah. I found the trick is to just tap the accelerator. Don't floor it when you get to that point. Just kind of pump it on and off. You'll get through it. One thing is um, I keep thinking of, and I know this is no relation, but there was a cartoon, a uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoon in the 70s called Speed Buggy. And I keep imagining that this is the same car from that show. And it's just got like a big old smiley face on the front. Because this is, a, like I said, it's a feel-good, happy time game. Yeah. And um, Oh, by the way. I forgot to mention what Arcade.com has as their high scores. Oh? The off-road track, they have a high score of 111,050 set on September 5th, 2018. North course, 91,250 set on December 29th, 2018. South course, 82,710 scored on March 9th, 1990. No, March 9th, 2019. Hoo-hoo, the game's not that old, folks. East course. There's a high score of 88,530 from Groundhog Day 2019. And then the West Course, 93,660 scored on November 21st, 2018. You'll notice that I haven't said any names yet. That's because all five of those scores were achieved by the same person. The friend slash sponsor of Pie Factory Podcast, D. Alex, holds all those scores. Oh, nice. All achieved at Underground Retrocade. Congratulations, Danny. So there we go. Such a such a fun game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be spending a lot of time with it. If I want, like, a more realistic game, it's Racer, it's Daytona. If I just want a straight-up fun racing game, it's this one. I think these are the two best racing games that have ever been released in the arcade, in my personal opinion. Girl, same. So, yeah. Fun. Oh, in fact, I uh, 
I located my floppy disk from this for the Atari ST, and I am going to play it later. Oh, awesome. And the home ports, I, I've not played the 64. I've only played the Atari ST. And the Atari ST port is solid as well. Oh, and one thing, I don't remember if you mentioned this, but uh, one thing I absolutely, going into the cutesy thing, when you're at the start, at the starting line, and it's counting down, it doesn't have like, I think it does have like the lights, but it also has like a hand with a finger one and two. Oh, and yeah, three. you're right. Yes. Oh, God, that is so, that is so funny. Oh, something else I like about that while you're talking about that, there are some games that, that will, like, if you hit the accelerator during that time, uh-huh. it's going to assume you're starting and you'll be disqualified. No, you physically cannot start until the time. To- I don't know if I've ever played a game down. like that. I mean, track and field, obviously, but, uh, yeah, but it, I, I hate those things when they do that, but this game doesn't do that. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's just so much to like about this game. All right. I think that's it for that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we do have some feedback. F-E-E-D-B-A-C. Feedback. 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 Oh, indeed we do. Hello, Jim and Sean, and uh, fellow High Factory podcast listeners. This is Plaid Mouse coming to you from his bed because he is sick. Oh, <laughs> I guess uh, shoveling all the snow that we just had didn't help uh, matters. <laughs> but uh, ah, need to get this submission in, so here I am. Uh, so forgive my my nasaliness. Uh, let's uh, go through some things before we uh, get into the games for episode 144: Buggy Boy and X Men. I'd like to apologize to Sean for bringing up uh, bad Thanksgiving memories with my, with my submission for the uh, last episode. So my my deepest apologies. That's okay. Uh, I hope it wasn't too traumatic. <laughs> I don't even remember. I uh, also wanted to say from the last episode, I really like uh, Craig's cool playtesting story. Um, that was cool. Oh, yeah. Got the games to playtest. That's that's awesome. So very 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 cool. Also very cool is that uh, some of the listeners and supporters of the show are original programs of our favorite games. For those of you listening, thank you for creating such fantastic games for for all of us. It's uh, greatly appreciated. All right, uh, addendum and errata for my own submission last week. Oh. I did not get a chance to play the updated versions or arrangements of the games in uh, Namco Classics Volumes 1 and 2, but they sound really cool, and I would like to try them out at, at some point. You will not um, regret the so, dig, Doug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just really reacting to the originals. I, I should have done more of a... Uh, of my due diligence to uh, research the games that you were actually talking about, the the changed ones. So I apologize. That's yeah, all good. That. But I'm sure they're they're great. They they sound really cool. Sean, in 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 regards to a comment uh, you made uh, as far as my my work, <laughs> I'm self-employed, Ooh. so I'm I'm not stealing time. So if anybody <laughs> needs um, a tutor, uh, specifically in English as a second language, but I also tutor. Uh, math and yeah. social studies and civics and science. And oh, man. You, you name it. Uh, just let me know. You can reach out to me on Atari Age at uh, Plaid Mouse. Uh, I'd love to, to hear from you. But no, um, I, I'm self-employed, so I schedule awesome. with my students directly. Uh, I'm very grateful for them all. They're all wonderful people. I have a policy where they, they can cancel at any time. There's no penalty. I just don't get paid. That's cool. The caveat being that if they cancel any time or don't show up. That's fine, but I can do the same. Now, obviously, I, you know, <laughs> to run a successful business, I don't uh, do that very often. But like today, I wasn't feeling well, and I said to uh, my students, "Hey, look, I'm I'm really just not up for uh, for meeting today. So these things happen. That's life, and I'd rather have that than 
get paid for classes that I didn't teach. So very aware of that. And uh, forgive me if I'm taking this too much to heart. But uh, again, I'm self-employed and mm-hmm. I work for my students and they're happy with my services. So I don't feel I'm stealing time by recording <laughs> episodes or recording the submissions uh, before I teach uh, before I teach them, trying to get things in when I can. I'm glad that the Japanese pronunciations are helpful. A quick note about the vowels. Um, You want to pronounce them like you would the ones in Spanish. uh, And do your best not to stress any of the syllables. Uh, Stressing syllables are safe for emotional expression. Uh, For example, let's take the name of uh, the sequel to um, Galaxian, which we'll get to Galaxian here in a moment. (laughs) You can say Gyaraga. Right, just gyaraga. Gyaraga. You, you know, that's how you would pronounce it in Japanese. The uh, it's, it's the only way to say a. Uh, gyaraga. Gyaraga. If we were to transliterate that into English, it would be galaga. But we have a propensity to stress certain vowel sounds which change their sounds. So galaga is why a lot of people will stress that first syllable and it makes that, that sound galaga, right? But anyway. Uh, however you'd like to say it. <laughs> it's one thing I tell my students is that uh, in English you can pronounce a word, uh, you know, usually a couple of different ways and, you know, we just kind of accept it. So we're not real real big on pronunciation like, like people in French. Speaking of uh, Galaga on the 2600, uh, what I meant was Galaxian. Uh, ah, the, I remember okay. the artwork for the Galaxian 2600 cart as a child. So, Sean, that was a mistake that I made. And again, I apologize. Uh, so I remember the Galaxian artwork. <laughs> I just think it's one of the best pictures uh, on a on an Atari card or any video game card for that matter. It just it was just really cool thinking about visiting alien worlds. I'd like to, I'd buy that for a dollar. Uh, as a sound clip was brought up in episode 52, the one covering RoboCop and Smash TV, the idea was thrown around as uh, using I'd buy that for a dollar as a possible recurring sound clip, uh, but uh, never caught on like uh, Robotron 2084 and Watch Out for Snakes. I also I, I enjoy the work of Peter Weller. I'm a huge fan of uh, the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. I think it's a phenomenal film. It's one I watch regularly and I refer to quite a bit. It's just, I don't know, just Seen that fires one. in all cylinders for me. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, it's just that kind of that weird, campy, fun, hey, wouldn't it be cool to be a Renaissance man or wouldn't it be neat if a Renaissance man existed in you know, such and such time? And um, I just think it's phenomenal, especially John Lithgow as Lord John Morphin. He's just He's great, but all, all the actors and actresses are. They're just awesome. Oh, one one other thing. Uh, I did get to visit Round Wand in Philadelphia Ooh. on uh, July 13th. Do tell. There at the, uh, the Jeff- Jefferson Station, the former Market East Station on the, the SEPTA Regional Rail. Round Wand is a very popular uh, arcade slash game center uh, from Japan, and they have a, uh, bowling alleys and, and arcade machines. Oh, nice. Thing. And uh, I had some time to kill after visiting my brother's uh uh, on uh, on a Saturday uh, night, or was it? Uh, yeah, Saturday night. They have a round one at Fox Valley Mall in Aurora. Uh, they they had to go home early and get some rest, and uh, so I played a lot of uh, Space Invader Frenzy, which was just amazing. I had played it before, and I, I really enjoyed it. I've not played that one, but that's a, a great um, update. Yeah, me neither. To, um, the, to the the wonderful game we all know and love, Space Invaders. Um, I also played a, a bigger version of. Um, Bust a move with the bubble bobble characters. Mm. It was kind of similar to Space Invader Frenzy. So I haven't played Bust a move was in a lot of while. Fun. That's a fun and one. I tried out some other things, and there was also some a bunch of comic book stuff. Uh, a lot of the Bronze Age DC comic stuff around, which I, I really enjoyed. Uh, 
uh, which is perfect for today's show because we're going to talk about Buggy Boy and X-Men. I'll start off with Buggy Boy because um, I didn't get a chance to play this, I, so I had to watch videos of it. I do like the cartooniness uh, of the graphics, and that's really the only link I can think of uh, is uh, between Buggy Boy and X-Men is that it's kind of got, they're both cartoony looking. Uh, there's probably some other connection I'm totally missing, but yeah, it looks like a fun game, and uh, I'd, I'd like to try it at some point. So it looks like there's a lot of stuff on the screen, so that's, that's really impressive, but um, I'd say three out of five stars. I'd like to give it a go. X-Men is a big comic book fan, of course. I've, I've read the X-Men. I actually have a bunch of the collected uh, editions and uh, uh, some of the freestanding comics, or I did it one time. I have to go back and check. I'm sure I still have a bunch. But um, Chris Claremont uh, as a creator, uh, Chris Claremont and John Byrne, I think are just awesome. Of course, I mean, the original uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee stuff uh, was really good, too. And, uh, uh, yeah, the X-Men game itself, uh, I think it's great. You've got versions where it's like two-player, four-player, six-player. Mm-hmm. Uh, given that the game came out in 92, I think it's interesting that they the characters they chose, specifically Dazzler. But I like Dazzler, and she's really popular right now, uh, I think, because of her connection to Taylor Swift. For those of you who aren't aware, Dazzler is a performer, and she's able to turn sound into into light, and that's that's kind of her shtick, uh, or her mutant ability, if you will. And it's a um, Mr. Holland thing, supposedly or allegedly. Let me put it that way: allegedly, Taylor Swift is going to play her uh, in an upcoming movie, which would be pretty pretty <clears throat> cool. But uh, I always thought they would should use Kitty Pride, but Kitty Pride does make a cameo appearance when. Uh, Professor Xavier says, go and save the city. Uh, she's standing right next to him. And I guess it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have a character that can face through walls because <laughs> it would be a little bit too easy to get through things. Um, so they send Dazzler instead uh, for, for a beat-em-up. That, that makes sense. <laughs> but I like the other additions. Uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is always one of my favorites, uh, especially as a, as, as a Christian. You know, I, I really identify with that part of him being bullied a lot. You know, and, and how he's kind of shunned by society, but he's Jesus loves him and and uh, and he loves others, and it's you know it's a really good reminder of how I need to be as a as a Christian. So Nightcrawler was always one of my favorites. Uh, it's fun to see him in this game. Uh, of course, Cyclops, which uh, I, I think he gets a lot of hate. I mean, you just need a stoic guy, you know. And uh, I I, re- I like Cyclops. You know, he probably wouldn't be a very good friend, but he does his job well. <laughs> uh, of course, everybody's favorite Wolverine and. You know, who doesn't like a tenacious, pugnacious, oh. yeah, hey, mess with me, I'm just going to tear you up. You know, sometimes we kind of set our Christ-like attitudes aside and say, yeah, I just want to tear you up. But uh, again, fantasy, not not a good thing to do in real life, but but it's fun to fantasize and read about. Uh, of course, Colossus, uh, I meant sometimes it would just be great to turn into to steel and not get hurt, you know, and uh, and he's such a nice guy. And, and from the, the Soviet Union, which, uh, well... By 92, you know, it reverted back to, to Russia and then the 14 other states that were the Soviet Union. Uh, I always loved that, uh, you know, that, uh, hey, there was a good guy from a country that we weren't really on good terms with. And um, uh, I think that was really cool because, you know, we're all humans and, you know, we need to be loving and kind to one another. I, I like Colossus for that reason, you know. Uh, it comes from a country that, hey we weren't on good terms with, you know, and, and vice versa. But, you know, he came and he was a heroic man. And, 
yeah, Colossus was awesome. And of course, Storm. And, and Storm's just, just fun. Being able to, to control the weather and you don't want to mess with her. <laughs> I mean, that's, she's a pretty <laughs> powerful person. <laughs> but she's wise and, 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 and thoughtful. And I think she also makes a fantastic. Just like Tom Skilling, I'm telling you. But um, anyway, yeah, yeah I, as far as the gameplay and all, I think it's, it's a great beat em up. It's one of the classic beat em ups, in my opinion. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. Yes, it's a quarter muncher. And yeah, it's a shame you can't use your uh, mutant abilities a, a bit more. But um, it's a fun game uh, for those who enjoy comics, especially the X-Men comics. You know, there's a lot of fun things in it. And um, yeah, I really enjoy it. And um, X-Men comics as a whole, I, I've kind of enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's kind of gone off in crazy ways like a lot of comics uh, these days. I, I don't read as many as I used to. I still collect a little bit. I still still enjoy the older ones. Um, and some newer ones. I still collect Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Usagi Ojimbo. But yeah, the X-Men, um, taking the, the concepts of um, peaceful resistance, uh, like Martin Luther King Jr., uh, whose birthday mm-hmm. we just celebrated a few days ago, and, and putting that into the character that. of Professor Charles Xavier, and hey, we need to make these people understand and listen, kind of added to uh, the aggression of Malcolm X, putting that into Magneto. How, how do we solve these problems when people kind of put a certain group down or we're the group that's being put down how do we deal with it and uh, and uh, I always re- enjoyed that especially in later years where Magneto wasn't seen so much as um, a villainous person as just you know looking at it from a from a different point of view and yeah. uh, I think that's really cool so X-Men gets four out of five stars for me I think it's a it's a great game um, stars it uh, it brings to life a really fun property in a comic book style uh, you know that I really enjoy so uh, all right. Well, that's my submission for this episode. Thank you guys for all that you do oh. and um, keep on doing the great work. And um, yeah, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you soon. This is Plaid Mouse saying, see you next time. And thank you well, once thank again you, for your submission. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I hope hope uh, by the time you hear this, you're much better, if not sooner. And yeah. and yes, Jimmy G stars. We use our continues thing. If Plaid Mouse wants to base his system on stars, that's his that's prerogative. Right. True. True. You know know what? We'll keep on using continues. And if anybody else wants to use their own system, hey, more power to you. Exactly. It could be stars. It could be comets. It could be boogers for all we care. You do you. Oh, man. Maybe I'll use boogers for my weird record collection. That's not a bad idea, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's too late. I already started another system. I'm not going to change it. But, uh, man, after hearing both you and plaid mouse talk about these characters i really wish i were into this more i really do and i'm not really into comics because they sound fascinating just, yeah i'm not really into comics i've just seen a couple of the x-men movies and i watched the cartoon yeah. from the fox kids block or whatever back when those first started and they were and they were good and um the movies especially make uh these connections a lot more in fact they kind of really spell them out the whole x-men thing with the mutants is really about uh it's really the whole the whole thing is a an allegory for uh, for social justice mm. and uh the characters of Magneto and Professor Xavier are so intricate and so deep I mean we all know Batman is like you know kid parents have got murdered he gets rich and kills people you know or mm. well you know he doesn't kill them. justifiable homicide at most yeah and you know same thing with like and Tony Stark had his thing with he becomes X-Men and, and Superman just comes from another planet. But there's actual real depth to the Magneto and Professor Xavier characters. And it's like I said, in the one movie, 
and I, I think it was the second X-Men movie, they dove into how Magneto, uh, I forgot his name again, as a kid was in a Nazi concentration camp. Hmm. And yep. when his powers were, when he discovered his powers and, um, yeah, there's real depth in the, in the storyline to that, man. It's something I would like to explore more, but I'm not, not really that huge into comics, but they're very fascinating characters. Oh, by the way, there is a song by Wings called Magneto and Titanium Man. Just wanted to throw that out there. Really? Yep. I wonder if it's based on uh, the X-Men. I'm pretty sure it is. The X-Men have been around since the 60s. It's not a song I usually listen to. It's not one of my favorite Wings albums, so hey. Yeah, it is based on them. The song is in narrative form and includes the, this is from Wikipedia, includes the Marvel comic characters Magneto, Titanium Man, and the Crimson Dynamo in the story. When asked his opinion of the song decades after its release, Stanley, who co-created all three characters, said he thought it was terrific. Wow! I did not know that was a thing, and I did not know that Paul McCartney was a comics fan. Yeah, in fact, uh, in the movie Help, uh-huh. he's playing an organ in their apartment, and because inst- he, to this day, Paul McCartney can't read sheet music. Instead of sheet music on the organ, he has a whole bunch of comic books on it. I did not know that. Yep. A little fun fact for you. The X-Men really are deep characters, and they're they're fascinating. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm not asking you to watch the movies or, or, or watch the cartoons or read any of the comics, but just do a little research on Magneto. He's, a, he's the most fascinating character in comics. Hmm. Other than maybe, uh, oh, Eric Magnus Lenscher, uh, who's a uh, Jewish man, which is why he was in the concentration camp. Okay, you know what, here, going a little off the rails here. Magneto was born Max Eisenhart sometime in the late 1920s to a middle-class German-Jewish family. Max's father, Jacob Eisenhart, was a decorated World War I veteran. Surviving discrimination and hardship during the Nazi rise to power, the passing of the Nuremberg Laws in 1935, and Kristallnacht, Max and his family fled to Poland, where they were captured during the German invasion of Poland and sent to the Warsaw Ghetto. Max and his family escaped the ghetto only to be betrayed and captured again. His mother, father, and sister were executed and buried in a mass grave, but Max survived, possibly due to the manifestation of his mutant powers. Escaping from the mass grave, he was ultimately captured yet again and sent to Auschwitz, where he eventually became a Sonderkommando. While at Auschwitz, Eisenhart reunited with a Romani girl named Magda, whom he had fallen in love with when he was younger and with whom he would escape the concentration camp during the October 7, 1944 revolt. So where did he get... Oh. Okay, he changed his name to Eric Lenshar later on because he was wanted by the authorities. And later on, he moved to Israel where he befriended Charles Xavier. And um, yeah, fascinating character. Well, I think he's the most fascinating character in all of comics. I'm just going to leave it at that. You all do your own homework on it. He is interesting. There was no home ports of the arcade game other than like later PlayStation and Xbox lives. Yeah. Things. Anywho. Anyway. I guess that's it. So why don't we uh, thank some people? Yeah, let's thank some people. We got some awesome people to thank because they were generous and uh, helped fund our podcast monetarily. So thank you to Commodore Chronicles, Keith Sheehan, Christian Williams, Craig Schober, Nate Lockhart. I know that I've been singing the praises of this dude for a, a, a while now, but I got to say it again. He, a new episode of Memory Machine came out recently. He puts out stuff about things that I really don't give a crap about, but when I hear him talk about them, he makes them sound like the most fascinating thing ever. And again, I'm like, yeah, dude, tell me more. Again, he's got that uh, radio perfect voice. Yeah, it's, and also, it, it's just so well done. His research and everything mm-hmm. is just incredible. 
And um, I told him, I said, dude, I'm going to give you a ball of lint for my pocket, and I want you to do an episode of that. I'm still going to be fascinated mm-hmm. by everything about it. But yeah, uh, thanks thanks to Nate Lockhart. Yeah, definitely listen to Memory Machine Podcast. Uh, uh, I'll put a link to that in our friends on our website if we don't already have it there. Uh, also, thank you to Mike Hat NJ. Thank you to Mark Super, Dean Schmidt, Kurt Musgrave, Rory Coleman, Retro Game Club Podcast. James Tinmouth, Underground Retrocade, Richard Valdez, PJ Steele, Plaid Mouse, SNES Podcast, Timmy Mac, D. Alex, Daniel Chavez, Kevin Bean, and Atari Bytes, which is now back, by the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if anybody unsubscribed during the hiatus, you might want to resubscribe to Atari Bytes because it's back. And thank you to our newest sponsor, our newest Patreon sponsor. And this is exactly why I said earlier in the episode why I believe this person listens to our podcast. Thank you to Ferg. Thanks, Ferg. Thanks so much, buddy. So um, we have a theme for this episode, as we do for each episode, correct? Yes. And this one, uh, kind of a lame theme. They can't all be winners. Games that use multiple monitors. Uh-huh. But... The monitors are side by side, not above each other. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I only say that because I kind of thought we did this uh, thing before, this this theme before, so I'll just uh, tweak it a bit. So mm. Go play some Buggy Boy. Yep. Or Speed Buggy. They're both great or Speed games. Buggy. Yes. They're both And the X-Men game. if you got a group of six people. Sure. Let's go with that. Alrighty, and uh, what were you ending this year's episodes with again? I have not thought of that yet. Um, Let's see. Last year it was names of albums that are underrated that everybody should listen to. And uh, let's see. This year my sign-off will be just, um, I don't know. What should I sign off with? Just a random word that comes off the top of your head at the moment? Hair. Awesome. Because that comes off the top of my head at any moment. Well, yeah. I wish it would come off of mine, we have the exact opposite problems when it comes to hair. Mine grows way too fast and yours doesn't yeah. grow. <laughs> well, it grows uh, longer. It just doesn't grow thicker. That, yeah, that's true. Oh, by the way, before we even do that, what about next episode? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Will there be um, a next episode? Stay tuned and find out. Listen to next episode. And in the, people that know these games will probably figure out the theme. But uh, Baby Pac-Man at Granny and the Gators. Or is it uh-huh. Gator? I can't remember. It's Gators, plural. It is plural. Okay, so that is it for the next episode. We'll be recording that sometime mid-February. In, uh, or maybe sooner. Oh. Or maybe sooner. You never know. We're just nothing if not full of surprises. I know. We're never going to record it sooner. So uh, there you go. <laughs> and I'm going to change up my sign-off for this year. Last year it was like, support your local arcade. And I'm going to go all Jerry Springer on you. But, uh, well, maybe not. No, he didn't say that. Yeah, support each other. He didn't other. say support your local arcade. I'm going to go support each other. Then I'm going to say support your local arcade. And by local arcade, I mean whatever arcade you can get to. Whatever arcade is local to me. Yeah. I don't have one. Anymore. Like, if you do have one, support it. If you don't, then go somewhere where there is one and support it. I'm following an arcade on Facebook that um, it's in down in Memphis, Tennessee. And I, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. And come to find out, remember, uh, there used to be a place in... Uh, in Morris here, I can't remember. It was like an antique store, but they had a little arcade in the back. Come to find out, it's the same people that runs that arcade down in Memphis. Ah. I knew they were moving to the south, but I didn't know where. They opened up an arcade down in Memphis. Oh, okay. I'll get back with the name of that. But, uh, yeah, so that was that was interesting to find out. But at any rate, we'll talk to you all next month. Have a happy, I don't know, 
whatever holiday comes up. Valentine's Day. Happy National Aluminum Sighting Day. There we go. Oh, there's an arcade in Memphis called Nerd Alert. Is that it? That's it. That's the one. Okay. That's the one. Nerd Alert's run by the same people. So, alrighty. Bye-bye. This episode of the Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. This is so weird, recording on a Sunday afternoon. Do they have a Sunday song on uh, the the uh, Moody Blues Days of Future Past? No, no, just Forever Afternoon Tuesday. Tuesday after, uh, I oh, I've I to that w- just recently I heard somebody on the radio correctly identify that song. Oh, I was so happy. It is not Tuesday afternoon. It is Forever Afternoon, and then in parentheses it says Tuesday question mark. That's how it is on the record.